Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Mary Hill Winery. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, uh, Commodore of Chocolate today, this evening. I'm uh, so excited about today's show, as I am every show, and you know that. And uh, you've probably been to our website, happyhourradio.net, to see all the fantastic guests we have. I think this is show number 80 tonight, and uh, such a pleasure to welcome back uh, my pal in Cocoa Beans, uh, Brian Cisneros, who is the founder of the Northwest Chocolate Fest, which is happening um, next week. And uh, this is actually the beginning, the kickoff of Seattle Chocolate Week, which uh, I'm thrilled about. And uh, I wonder if they have chocolate toothpaste, but we'll get to that. Um, coming up later on the show is with my good friend Cynthia Nims with MoanAppetit.com. We're going to talk about uh, some great party planning because it is fall. I mean, September is almost bye-bye, and now it's on to October, November, December, and this is where we all warm up to some big hearty reds, some perhaps port wines that go great with chocolate, and some big meals, the holidays, et cetera, et cetera. So right now, welcome, Brian Cisneros, welcome back. Thank you, Christopher. Great to be here. Hey, so tell me about this uh, Seattle Chocolate Week. That's a new one. Yeah, Northwest Chocolate Week, actually. Northwest. So, yeah, um, and you're welcome to check that out. Online, we have NW Chocolate Week and NWChocolate.com on both of those. And what you'll see for Northwest Chocolate Week, we have about two dozen restaurants. So hopefully you're listening to this in the car on the way to dinner. And I encourage you to go to NWChocolateWeek.com and look up one of the participating restaurants that's probably in your neighborhood. And the chefs have agreed to put a dish featuring artisan chocolate on the menu for the week. So just as part of your normal dining experience, there's a little special touch on the menu at a number of places around town, similar to a restaurant week vibe, except for chocolate this time. And you can literally work your way for the next six days around the city and taste uh, what chefs have to say and and present around artisan chocolate. Oh, that's a fantastic idea. Congratulations on uh, the creativity. And I think when you say chocolate, the first thing we think of is dessert, obviously. But Mm -hmm. chocolate is used in a variety of of manners in uh, cooking, obviously, the moles of uh, the Yucatan Peninsula down there in Mexico and um, Aztec. <laughs> What's <is it>, Aztec? <laughs> it's true. Mayan. The Mayan. Uh, the Mayan and Aztec preparations. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And so you'll go out there and perhaps you'll have something with um, a more savory version of a chocolate dish. Right. So some places are doing a savory interpretation. I heard of one uh, chicken rolled in cocoa nibs and then fried. So mm-hmm. like cocoa fried chicken at uh, one of our partners. So interesting things, interesting takes on it. Add some cocoa krispies to that, and then we're really talking, there you right? Go. There you go. Like, like the old uh, Cap'n Crunch chicken that some restaurant had a while years ago. Yes. Um, well, we're talking about Northwest Chocolate, and uh, it's Northwest Chocolate Festival. What's the official title? The Northwest Chocolate Festival. The Northwest Chocolate Festival, October 3rd and 4th over at Pier 66, also known as Bell Harbor. And that's where the Anthony's Restaurant is and right across from the Waterfront Marriott. And um, now tell me this. This is what year? You've been producing this, been um, uh, cracking the cocoa beans on this for how long? For nine years now. And this is our seventh annual production. We took one year off in our our history. But um, yeah, 
It's been around the Northwest for nine years. Yeah, I think there was a depression mode <laughs> within <laughs> that decade, right? True. Uh, well, so fun. So Northwest Chocolate, uh, this is the ninth year, the seventh annual production, um, and it's grown and grown. I mean, what was the original? The first year you had what? The first year we had five chocolate makers and a handful of confectioners, um, people who make pastries, and about 1,500 uh, attendees who wow. came. And uh, this year we have... 37 chocolate makers from 20 countries around the world, uh, 100 exhibitors who work in chocolate, and we're expecting somewhere between eight and 10,000 attendees for the weekend. Holy smokes. Congratulations. Thank and you. Uh, humble beginnings or humble beans <laughs> to huge chocolate uh, swaths of industry. And um, when you think of 20 countries, that's really amazing. Obviously, we're going to say Canada, United States, and Mexico. But, of course, you've got probably some um, of the uh, Caribbean islands or the African islands or what? Absolutely. We've got chocolate makers coming from some very interesting places around the world. Uh, I think the farthest two that... Uh, that are coming to Seattle for the weekend. One from Tokyo, who's a bean-to-bar chocolate maker. Uh, we have one from Lithuania, from Paris, from Germany, from Austria, as well as from countries that typically grow cocoa, uh, have yeah. some chocolate making happening there as well, which is fantastic to see. So we have representatives from Ecuador, from Brazil, from Peru, from Panama, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Trinidad, Grenada. And the list goes on. So I, I think wow. coming to the show to meet some of these people, it's a very, very unique opportunity to taste chocolate from all around the world. It sounds fantastic. And, and obviously, I think we can eat a lot of chocolate. Is there anything bad about eating a lot of chocolate except cavities and um, perhaps a little weight gain? Overwhelming happiness. Overwhelming you know, happiness. Be... Well, that's what we provide here on Happy Hour Radio. We've got Brian Cisneros, the uh, founder and executive director of the Northwest Chocolate Festival, and we're celebrating Northwest Chocolate Week and uh, lots of restaurants. What You said how many restaurants are out there? 24 restaurants. 24 restaurants that are, are participating in this program, which is really to promote the idea of artisan chocolates and, and the smaller producers. Um, you know, we, we love Hershey, and they've got their place, but we really want to celebrate uh, this terroir of chocolate, the artisan producer, the the, the, the lowly, humble, agricultural, agrarian uh, towns that produce, you know, really fantastic, flavorful, complex cocoa. Correct. Is that where you start? You have cocoa beans. We understand that. But then there's cocoa nibs. And tell me the process real quick. Let's tell our listeners how so, cocoa really works. Absolutely. In a, in a nutshell, cacao or cocoa is a the plant itself is actually a low elevation rainforest tree that grows in the tropics 20 degrees north and 20 degrees south of the equator all the way around the world so those listeners who are familiar with coffee will recognize that's the same regions that coffee comes from around the world the difference being coffee is a high elevation mountain oh, yeah. shrub so coffee grows high and dry and cocoa or cacao grows low and wet in the jungle so cocoa needs the rainforest to survive so that's a big thing um it's a pod that grows off of that tree so it's a fruit it's hand harvested. Part of the orchid family, isn't that right? No, oh, that's vanilla. Sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so Theobroma cacao is the is the chocolate tree. Chocolate really does grow on trees, which is kind of a fun, uh, fun thing. Like um, and it is hand harvested. The pods are cracked open, and the seeds, which is what you'll make the chocolate from, are actually scooped out. They are fermented for seven days, 
In so, their own seed stuff? or it, is It's it? a pulp, yeah. It's, it's a pulp that surrounds them that has a lot of sugars in it. And so naturally, microbes in the environment um, head towards those sugars, yeast, yeah. the yeast, and they ferment them for seven days. The temperature rises. And in that process, the seed changes from what is a seed that could make a tree into what we now call a cocoa bean, which is no longer able to make a tree. But the flavors inside of that oh, seed wow. have transformed into something that is now a lot closer to what we understand as chocolate. Interesting. It sounds like it's uh, malted barley in a way, where you have to transform the sugars in the barley grain by malting it and then halting the process by roasting it. So you now have this coffee, uh, sorry, this cocoa bean or cacao mm -hmm. bean, and mm -hmm. what happens then? So then it's laid out to dry to halt the fermentation process uh, in the sun or in a warm environment. It is uh, put into burlap bags and then typically shipped to the place where the chocolate is going to be made. Just like coffee. Burlap Just bags. like coffee. Um, so traditionally, it's been shipped to European countries and uh, North America as well, where the machinery exists to process that bean into chocolate. Now we're seeing a lot more places that grow cacao also being able to have access to technology and machinery. So now we have chocolate that's being made in the places where it's grown as well, which is very exciting. But the next step is it's shipped to a place that has a roaster. So if you're a coffee drinker and you're mm -hmm. familiar with a coffee roaster, um, it's almost an interchangeable device. So the same type of roaster can roast It's like a cement cocoa. mixer that just keeps rolling and rolling and heating up with on the heat. bottom. Yeah. yeah. So very much like a coffee roaster. So it's roasted, at which point it is after it's roasted, it's cracked. And um, you have a winnowing process where the chaff from around the seed is separated from what is now a nib. So people who use oh. cocoa nibs um, in their cookies or on salads or as a snack, that is um, a very lightly processed cacao bean. It's literally just been, well, it's been fermented and dried, um, but it's just been roasted and cracked into pieces. How exciting. So yeah, so that's um, like pre-chocolate. And then from there, it's crushed further. We're using stone wheels and sugar is added. And uh, then we have things like 70%, 80%, 90% uh, chocolate based on how much sugar the chocolate maker decides. So 90% chocolate means there's 10% sugar. Correct. Okay. But you're still going to use the, I don't know, lecithin or milk or um, not milk. I mean, that's milk chocolate, of course. But what goes into chocolate? What are the simple things? Like in beer, we have Reinheitsgebot. It's water, yeast, barley, malt. Mm -hmm. um, but what do you have there? And hops, I should in, say. In the most basic chocolate, um, which is also sometimes considered the highest level of chocolate making, you only need two ingredients, and that's the cocoa beans and sugar. Mm. So you can make a very fine chocolate bar. And something that I brought for us to taste today is uh, a manufacturer who's just using cocoa beans and sugar. And we call this the new American chocolate style. So they do not add cocoa butter. They do not add oh, yeah. lecithin or right. stabilizers. Um, and they typically don't do a milk chocolate either, um, although some of them are now getting into that with coconut milk and other things, Ooh. which are very, very interesting. We'll taste one of those today as oh, well. so fun. Um, so cocoa beans and sugar is the two most basic ingredients for a chocolate bar. And from there, the European style is to add additional cocoa butter to uh -huh. the bar. And if you think about cooking with butter, if you put vegetables in a pan, add a little bit of butter to it, what that does for the flavors and for your palate's ability to pick up on the flavors, um, it has a very pleasing effect. So Butter um, is pleasing. It is pleasing. In many so forms. It's the same, <laughs> same principle when you add it to the cocoa beans and sugar. You add a little bit of extra butter to that. And it creates a very smooth, almost creamy texture mm -hmm. to it. And it's something that we're all very familiar with uh, in the European style. Belgian chocolate, Swiss chocolate um, have a high amount of additional cocoa butter. Now, where does that butter come it? from? You say there's cocoa, the nib, there's cocoa powder, which I imagine is just mm -hmm. the crushed nibs. Where's the butter come from? Well, 
The butter is in the bean itself. So a cocoa bean is 49% cocoa butter. So it looks like a solid object, but half of it is actually fat. Uh, um, but it's like actually, me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you. I, I would say negative, sir. Right. Um, but a it's actually a positive uh, positive type of fat or oil that's good for mm-hmm. us. And so you can crush the bean and press it. You put it under high pressure, and literally you're going to press the cocoa butter right out of the seed. Kind of like grapeseed oil. I mean, you're doing the same thing, right? Absolutely. Similar principle. So that is extracted from the cocoa bean. And from there, that's where we get cocoa powder from. Oh, because the bean no longer has the fat in it, so now it becomes... Now it's a powder. So if you go to the store and buy cocoa powder off the shelf and you just mix it with hot water and try and drink a hot chocolate, it's going to taste very thin yeah. and watery, obviously, yeah. um, because it's missing its fat. So typically we make cocoa powder and you add milk or another thing that has a fat into it because that's how we really enjoy mm-hmm. the flavor of chocolate for us works that best. Good. Yeah. And, and naturally it's balanced almost 50-50 in the bean. So a chocolate maker will take some extra cocoa butter that's been pressed out of the beans and actually add that to their batch of chocolate and that's where the cocoa butter comes from it comes from the seed itself this is fantastic brian cisneros is the founder of the northwest chocolate festival taking place october 3rd and 4th and uh, celebrating northwest chocolate week here in seattle and uh, around the town Um, such a fascinating story chocolate uh, obviously it's it's been rising in people's perception of what is cool and artisan and and terroir driven and unique and special and uh, i'm excited about that and it's great to actually have you back on the show because now i have a better appreciation for the chocolate uh, industry and as, as well as understanding you know how to share this with the listeners and um, when we come back from uh, our upcoming break um, we're going to dive in because I am salivating I can you can have chocolate before dinner right I know I'm going to absolutely <laughs> perfect well um, get your tickets for the Northwest Chocolate Festival at northwestchocolate.com that's October 3rd and 4th and if you have any questions about it, um, you can email uh, info at northwestchocolate.com, I imagine. And, uh, of course, if you have any questions about the show, some suggestions on who we should be bringing on, send us an email to ask at happyhourradio.net. And as always, we are on the Twitter. Do you have a Twitter handle, Brian? Yes, we do. It's NWChocolate. And at NWChocolate, and we are at, at HappyHRRadio. So stick around. I'm going to be, I see one, two, three, four, five, six different uh, bars of uh, light to dark chocolate. I'm so excited about it. Um, I'm going to even sneak a, a buy it during this break. So stick around, everybody. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. with Northwest Stir, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KVI. Only one station has Sean Hannity. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. on Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Sommelier, Christopher Chan. All right, welcome back. Hey, uh, it's time for round two, or in this instance, bar two. Um, I took some samples of this fantastic chocolate from uh, founder of the Northwest Chocolate Festival, which is October 3rd and 4th. Brian Cisneros is in the studio. 
And I wonder if you say, you know, obviously chocolate makes people happy. Um, that's why it's on Happy Hour Radio. But also that chocolate is really one of the new, fine, uh, terroir-driven. It becomes like a wine. I mean, there's artisans producing it. It's, it's basically bean to bar. And I've just tried some samples during the break. Amazing. Amazing. So, Brian, um, you mentioned that you have some bars from Hawaii. They're actually growing cacao in Hawaii. Correct. So there is three bean-to-bar chocolate companies operating in Hawaii right now and a number of cacao farmers. And I brought one of my favorite chocolate makers um, overall in the industry today, but um, also just doing great work out there in Hawaii, showcasing the terroir of the cacao. What island is that? It grows on the Big Island. It also grows on the North Shore of Oahu. Oh. And, uh, you North Shore, a, bra. Hey. Yeah, and you find a little bit on Maui and Kauai. So okay. it grows throughout the islands. Uh, Hawaii is at about 19 or 20 on the uh, latitude. So it's just at the very tip top of the cacao growing oh, region. Right. And the only place in the technical United States where cacao does grow. Yeah, so cool. Uh, the name of this Hawaiian bar that you brought is called Madre or what is it? Yes, Madre Chocolate. The two uh-huh. people who founded it had a strong ties with Ecuador and Mexico. And so they were kind uh, of calling out some of the traditional Mayan roots of, of cocoa. Neat. And I like, I like the packaging. It's, it's very, it has this very uh, rural feel to it because it looks like real natural inks. And uh, it's a small bar, but it it's packs a lot of power here. I mean, this wrapper, the, the bar must extend beyond the wrapper because that bar looks so much bigger. Uh, this one is called what? Likau Kula. And it is a single farm estate growing cacao on the big island of Hawaii. And so that is the name of the farm. It's one of my favorite bars that they make. Again, for terroir, it has, it's, there is no milk added to this, so it's just a dark chocolate. However, it tastes creamy. It tastes light. It has a custard and vanilla kind of notes going on in there. And it's just very, very pleasant. To it, eat all around. It's delicious. Um, it's a great starter. It, uh, it leaves you dry. I don't think the finish is so long. If we talk about wine, um, a lovely attack. It's soft, generous in the mouth. Has dark flavors, dark complexity, um, but then it sort of finishes, fades very rather quickly, but then it comes back. Yes. Oh my goodness. Once that cocoa butter, and here's the ingredients Hawaiian cacao beans, uh, organic sugar, organic cocoa butter, and Hawaiian whole vanilla. So if you want to taste of Hawaii, I bet you they got one with macadamia nuts, I imagine, right? They do. And actually, uh, the one that we're going to taste now uh, has the coconut milk and Hawaiian ginger in it. So, and this is what I was uh, mentioning earlier with some of the new mm. chocolate makers. Instead of using traditional milk, they're doing um, what could be considered, you know, a vegan or a non-dairy option, but they're just doing it for flavor. So we have here, oh wow, coconut milk mixed with chocolate and Hawaiian ginger that's crystallized uh, on the back, and it's that is heavenly. You can eat the whole bar at once. I mean, it's I love chocolate. Um, I don't eat enough of it. My my mom loves chocolate, dark chocolate, but I'm I'm like the milk chocolate part where you get a little. Less dark flavor, but this is this has got a soft or a, a malleable texture. It's kind of got some density. It's going to almost al dente, but it's just like your teeth cut through it, and it starts to instantly melt. That coconut milk mm, mm-hmm. just takes over, and of course the crystalline ginger. Oh, it's fantastic. So what do these bars run, and where can people find them? Well, you can definitely find them at the Northwest Chocolate Festival. Ah. Um, a lot of this maker in particular and a lot of other makers will be there. And oh, really? Not only will you get to taste along all the chocolate bars that they make, but they also have some uh, set aside for people who want to take them home. You can buy them from them. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a great place to get <laughs> Christmas and holiday gifts as well as to stock up your chocolate library. Yeah, there library, you go. Turn which... somebody on to some real artisan chocolate. October mm-hmm. 3rd and 4th down at Bell Harbor Pierce. 
Pier 66. Tickets available at northwestchocolate.com. They're only 30 bucks. Um, I mean, these bars are probably on the $4 up range and up, I imagine, because they're so beautifully produced. I would say those are in the $10 range, oh, probably. Oh, yeah! So and, you, but it's a great uh, addition to your chocolate library mm. at home. Hopefully, if you have a wine cellar going, you also have a chocolate library oh, going like for those special nights, especially through the winter where you want just I need a, a little, what do you call something it? A, fun. A, a uh, cocoa humidifier or something to keep like they do for cigars. Absolutely. Oh, so Madre Chocolates, and it's all about the Northwest Chocolate Festival. So you have a third one here. Tell me what this says. Triple Cacao. So Triple Cacao, and this is very, very unique. So here they have put the Cocoa Nib that we were talking about earlier mm. along with the dark chocolate, and they have put the pulp, the um, part that surrounds the seed, which is tart and citrusy and a little bit sweet. They've dried the pulp and then put it into the chocolate bar. So it has all three components of the cacao in there. It has the chocolate itself, the cocoa nib, and the pulp from the pod. And it is absolutely an amazing flavor combination. It's it's awesome. It is incredibly beautifully textured. The, um, the tartness on the finish from the, the pulp... Mm-hmm. The crisp, crunchy, uh, the texture of the cocoa nib in there, which gives you a little, you know, something little pops in there. And then the the chocolate is, it's dark, but it's it's more of a smooth dark. It's not like dark and bitter. It has a tint of espresso, but it's more mocha. Yes. Yeah. And this comes from the Dominican Republic. Right. So it's made in Hawaii, and the cacao is from the Dominican Republic. And I love this. It says, winner of, on the bottom of this lovely label again, it says, uh, you've got four huge awards here for this chocolate bar. Yes. I think it's won nine awards in the last four years. Um, so it's definitely a great a great bar. That is really cool. I mean, these Madre folks out of Hawaii, uh, they've got it down. This is really cool stuff. I get why it's 10 bucks because... If you eat that whole thing yourself, you will be sad because you've ate it all, but you won't have any for tomorrow. But this is something you can share because this is like dessert wine. This you, All you need is a little bite, and then like, wow, length, complexity, sweetness, deliciousness, um, fantastic. Northwest Chocolate Festival, October 3rd and 4th. I see two more bars. and Oh, three more bars. Great. You got six. You surprised me. Okay, what do we got? Well, I would jump us over to uh, what I would call a new American chocolate maker. So this is Dick Taylor Chocolate out of Arcata, California. Is that friends with Chuck Taylor, the guy who made the tennis shoe? They uh, may know each other, actually. (laughs) Um, But two chocolate makers, Adam Dick and Dustin Taylor, who uh, came together. And they used to be uh, boat, well, fine woodworkers in California and then discovered they Mm. had a passion for vintage machines. So they restore vintage chocolate making machines and process down just outside of the Redwoods and have come a long way in the last three or four years with developing terroir from the beans. So this is Madagascar, single origin, and has only two ingredients, cocoa beans and sugar. That's it. That's it? That is it. That's purity. Pure chocolate. Oh, my goodness. Very soft texture, soft flavor, good refinement, long, long, long finish in this case. Um, So you're really tasting that cocoa for quite a while after it leaves your mouth. And you notice a few different changes in the palate from the dark earthiness to a little bit of a bright, almost stone fruit that comes through, which is typical of the Madagascar island off the east side of Africa. Um, You get a lot of these kind of bright citric flavors out of those beans. Uh, Fantastic. I've never had chocolate with just two ingredients, and it makes so much sense. Obviously, cocoa and sugar. What do you got? Well, I'm going to show you what we've got. We've got the cocoa bean, and we're going to sweeten it up so your, your mouth loves it. And that's quite fascinating. It's quite complex for... What I, it's like 100% Cabernet Sauvignon from a single vineyard. That's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really tasty. And it's called what again? 
This one is the Dick Taylor, is the name of the company. Out of California. Out of Arcata, California. Mm, so fun. Fantastic. All right. Um, what's the next one? <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so this one is made by Francois Prelou, who is a chocolate maker in France. But the beans come from a gentleman named Dwayne Dove, who uh, lives part-time in Stockholm and the rest of the time in Tobago on the Trinidad and Tobago Twin Island State. So this is a single estate bar. Um, I ran into Dwayne the other day, and he said that this particular bar comes from the November harvest, so it's within a certain month of the year, and has the flavors of that month. Um, oh. So it ha- does have a little bit of the brightness and some citrus in there, um, but it also has a great earthy tone to it, and um, almost like a little bit of spice or something in the background, which is mm-hmm. uh, very typical of South Caribbean cacao. A little nutmeggy or something. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Wow. And it has a more polished... Than the rest of the bars, there's some rusticity to the other bars, which I find uh, very appealing. But this is sort of a step up in in, in its mouthfeel and just seems a little more polished. This is your your true fine chocolate uh-huh. here again, made in France, so processed at a, probably a very large facility, but who can take care of the beans and who've been doing it for a long time. Um, and you notice that it comes through in the smoothness of the yeah. bar and, and the finish. So fun. I noticed there was a, a, a batch date on the uh, Madre chocolate bars. Now we have a, a special harvest date for the beans. Last mm-hmm. bar is what. Uh, the last bar is a pure Hawaiian dark, and so this one is 70%, um, and it says Kokoleka Hawaii, and again, this is Hamakua Coast, Big Island, and it was processed into chocolate on August 5th, so just a few days, uh, well, a month, a month ago, ago yeah. basically. Um, and What's in that? That's just chocolate or cocoa and sugar, too? So this is sugar, cocoa, and a little bit of Hawaiian vanilla in there. So delicious. Brian Cisneros is amazing. I wish we had two chocolate festivals so I could invite you here again. <laughs> well, it is two days. So it hopefully. is two days. Very good. October 3rd and 4th, northwestchocolate.com. 30 bucks for a ticket, 80 workshops, the largest uh, gathering of chocolatiers in the world. Brian Cisneros, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. It was a pleasure, Christopher. Thank you. Hey, stick around. Coming up next is uh, my friend Cynthia Nims, the founder of Mon Appetit. And we're going to talk about some really tasty treats that you can start thinking about for the uh, for those parties you're throwing October, November, December we are here, it's game on so stick around, we'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio Hi, I'm Phil Klein with Natchez Heights Vineyard and Winery, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KDI. The Commute with Carlson, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, welcome back. It's time for round three. So pour something tasty in that glass or get a couple bites out and let's relax. I've got uh, well, my friend Cynthia Nims, who is a food writer for Seattle Magazine, Alaska Airlines, and uh, has her own blog called Mon Appetit. MonAppetit.com. She's got, uh, well, great stories, great recipes, and for cocktails and more. Um, but right now, it's, uh, it's harvest season and, uh, well... Happily and sadly, the end of summer, but we've got all this great, this bounty of produce, the herbs, and, and such, oh, I'm sure lots of zucchinis, too. <laughs> so, uh, Cynthia Nims, welcome back. Hey, Christopher, great to be here again. And, um, you know, 
I'm a kind of a part-time gardener. I well, I should say I'm a substitute gardener because <laughs> my real gardener doesn't exist. But I pop in every now and then and look to see what I can do. Um, I grow herbs, so I've got thyme, oregano, parsley, and cilantro in my little pot, which makes it easy for me because it's a one-stop watering hole. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's uh, you've got basically the cool stuff, a little sage in there sometimes, and of course chives. So um, in terms of gardening. I'm sure we have uh, us being, you know, this this area being clean, green, and sustainable. Uh, everyone's probably has something in their garden, but uh, what can we do with all this food that we at the end of the year? Yeah, it's a really glorious time of year. Seattle has this tendency to you know, usually summer kind of comes late and it lingers a little bit. So this time of year is just prime season for so much produce. And you know, I mean, everybody in town knows that we have had this wacky heat. And so a lot of stuff has been exploding, tomatoes ripening, you know, more than usual. Lots We're of used sugar to, production. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think there's just a, a lot of really delightful things to do with this um, sort of late summer or yeah, late summer bounty. Um, you talked about. I mean, I think a lot of urban gardeners, even someone like me who doesn't, I don't consider myself to have much of a garden, but I managed to have a bunch of herbs like you, and I absolutely love that. And might squeeze in, um, you know, a tomato. Um, tried leeks this year, didn't quite work. But I'm a, you know, I'm a learning gardener. Uh, so I think simple is great. This time of year, we're, we're still going to have some salmon around. So say you go out to the backyard grill and you grill some salmon and you um, have maybe if, if it's zucchini, that's great or tomatoes, whatever is sort of you know, you've got plenty of it that time of year. <laughs> Readily available. Chop, chop it up, um, dice them, depends on the size, small cherry tomatoes you can keep whole. Just saute them really quickly. Um and add a whole bunch of fresh herbs that you happen to have, chives, uh-huh. thyme, whatever it might be. Just toss that together with a little olive oil and garlic. Um, and then when your salmon comes off the grill or halibut, whatever it might be, whatever your f- preferred uh, fish is, and just spoon that over. And it's um, both sort of a salad element, but a, right. a vegetable complement right on top. And yeah, freshness. Yeah, and if you're using um, if you're using just tomatoes, you don't even have to do any cooking. You can basically make like a really simple vinaigrette, red wine, um, olive, red wine vinegar, olive oil, some herbs. Toss your tomatoes in there, and it takes like a couple of minutes. Yeah, it's simple. You grill your salmon and you pour that over, and it just it's so strikingly beautiful and it's really elegant. Um, one of my favorite dishes with these kind of ingredients at this time of year is red. Ratatouille, that southern ratatouille, French. Ratatouille, yes. Beautiful, beautiful dish. Pretty simple. Um, eggplant's egg common. Plant. Eggplant, different kinds of summer squash, um, certainly tomatoes, lots of herbs. Um, there's a lot of different approaches to it, and some people have very strong philosophies about ratatouille, but basically what you're Depending doing... on which area of the Mediterranean you're in, I Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and exactly how the order of adding the ingredients and stuff like that. But ultimately, you are making a saute of of these really brightly flavored um, late summer vegetables. And it can be served, as, you know, it's a great vegetarian entree if you make mm-hmm. lots of it. It's a great side dish. It can, again, be sort of a relish almost that you serve, you know, on, yeah, on a grilled piece that, of meat or something. That ratatouille is that you can either keep it slightly undercooked and firm, which mm-hmm. gives you sort of a, a more fresh salad approach or vegetable side dish approach. You can cook it to where it's uh, sautéed and becomes a great uh, accoutrement. Or you can actually cook it a little overweight where you get a little more uh, metally of the all the flavors. A little, I don't want to say 
mishmash, but it's mm-hmm. really a uh, a composition of uh, flavors that have been really extracted. Concentrated, yeah. yeah. And then that makes it a really amazing pasta topping because, it, you know, at that point, it's got a lot of sort of juices and it's almost pulpy and then it will blend really well with pasta. Not that you can't serve the crunchier, fresher version on pasta too, but that's that particular style, I think, goes well with pasta, which again can be a really great main course vegetarian style for the back patio on those late <laughs> summer nights, you know? Yeah, we got them while the sun's going down early, it seems. But yeah. uh, what's cool about the ratatouille, if you if you cook it, um, it, it tends to last a good time if you've got it really, you know, cooked down and it, it, it's more of a, now an ingredient where it becomes, you could almost make it a paste on a, a swath through your, well, it depends. Obviously, eggplant's got a little bit of skin on it, but uh, lots of great variety and, and versatility for that dish. Yeah, it could be a spread on a sandwich. For I mean, absolutely, you could put it on a sand on a baguette, maybe with some goat cheese and some sliced fresh tomatoes or something. That would be a really, really cool sort of lunch option or snack or an appetizer. Even it could be a really cool sort of crostini type deal with ratatouille and a little goat cheese on top. And I'm a big pepper fan, and uh, I like a little bit of heat, but I also just like the flavor. The red and the yellows tend to have a little sweeter, more uh, less pyrazine flavor, less green. Um, Mm -hmm. What can we do with those that are really fun? Oh, gosh. Um, I do love them just simply roasted. Um, You know, you roast them either under your broiler or if you have the grill going anyway, just grill them. Yeah, Yeah, get some char on the outside. Um, And if you... You know, depending on how thick the skins are, it's it's often a nice idea to get the skin off because it can be a little tough. So how do you do that? Because I know I, when I was uh, working at uh, this great restaurant, um, the chef would put them on the burner, just right on the burner with a little screen, and turn them over the gas. So it got yeah. all black, and then yeah. you stuck them in a bag. Yes, exactly. That's what I do at home, too. All right. So you take it like a produce bag, regular sort of plastic bag, um, and put them in there while they're pretty hot. Well, you know, pretty much right away out of mm-hmm. the oven. And then tie it off really quickly because what you're doing is creating steam inside there and the steam is going to help separate the skin from the flesh and then just forget about it for a while until it's fully fully cool open it up yeah. and then the skin comes off uh, really easily and then what what you can do there for like when you a, take the skin off do you take it I, I've seen them do it underwater as well is that something oh gosh or? I don't know about that I wonder if that's too um sort of help get the seeds off and stuff because it can be a little messy with the seeds yeah. and the ribs inside. Um, I'm not sure about that particular technique, um, but I tend to just do it. Um, it's kind of messy, but just do it all on the counter and then clean it up. And okay. um, and then you can do so many things with those roasted peppers. But if you want like a really quick sort of antipasto thing, just cut them into relatively oh, thin yeah. slices, um, put them in some amazing olive oil with slices of garlic and maybe some um, strips of lemon zest and some fresh herbs. Ooh, the lemon zest. I like and that. And let it sit for a little bit. I mean, uh-huh. even just an hour or so would be great. And again, that's awesome to have as a crostini. Um, you could toss that with some pasta for a little... A you know, aperitif pasta dish or something like that. Or, gosh, it would be so great. Like, even if you chop that up even a a little bit more and it could be a phenomenal relish on a grilled steak or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or on tacos or whatever. Especially come from your garden. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so we've talked about tomatoes and zucchinis and eggplant and, of course, other squash and peppers and herbs. Now, is there something fun to do with herbs? Because um, quickly, what... Can you sort of put these in olive oil? What's I want to get an herbed olive oil. Do you know how to do that? Is that a, is there a recipe for that? Or how can I preserve these herbs because they're so fresh and so beautiful right now? I want to sort of impart that flavor in something. Is it I can make my own herb vinegar or something? Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, the trick with herbs uh, is that you want. I mean, they do need to s- remain fresh because you know they're they being being a fresh product. I'm sorry, you don't want to let them 
degrade the oil over time or, or the, you know, as long as they stay submerged, that's the trick. Um, if you have some fresh herbs in some vinegar, um, I think it's ideally best that they stay submerged in the vinegar so uh-huh. the part that exposed doesn't sort of begin to... Be rancid. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's pretty much as simple as that. Honestly, I don't do it too much myself, but I, but the um, olive oil, uh, especially the like rosemary, those firmer um, herbs are going to hold up really well in there. And the only thing I would say, like when you take a branch of rosemary, if you're going to try to infuse it, I rub the whole thing like between my palms just to help extract some, some of those of cells yeah, to exactly. get the, the oils yeah, and the so then the, Yeah, the flavor comes out a little more quickly. Um, and that is sort of, so the, the herbs and the olive oil is making me think of sort of just marinating things in general. You, you start with that, um, some garlic, herbs, olive oil that's kind of warm, um, that you warm up a little bit. Oh, okay. And you can pour that over, um, you know, uh, sliced zucchini, um, mushrooms with some vinegar. Throw some vinegar in there, too, so you have some acid balance, certainly, with the, the oil. And then that becomes a really amazing vehicle, especially when you warm it first and the garlic and the citrus I like that citrus idea. I never herbs. did that before. That makes sense. It draws into the oil and the vinegar before it goes over the food product. And then, you know, and then the mushrooms and the zucchini and whatever you're throwing in there can, they'll, it'll absorb more quickly. And you can have sort of like a really quick marinated um, item within a couple of hours where sometimes awesome. you feel you, like it takes yeah, a couple a days. Tray almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, I am so hungry. Well, Cynthia Nims, thanks so much. Uh, you've got some great ideas. We can find those on monappetit.com or you got a couple books? Oh, sure. Yeah, my most recent books um, are Gourmet Game Night, which is super fun for when you're playing board games with your pals and you want to have some really good food. And then I also love salty, crunchy foods. That's like my yes. favorite food category. So I wrote this book, you know, an ode to salty, crunchy foods. It's called um, Salty Snacks. Salty Snacks. Well, thanks so much. We're you can find these online at uh, monapetit.com and uh, I'll have you back because uh, you make my mouth water with all these great <laughs> delicious di- dishes. Well, Cynthia Nims, thanks so much for joining me in Happy Hour Radio. Alicia Gellis with Waterbrook Winery, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KBI. The Commute with Carlson, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, time for round four and time for one of my favorite segments all year. It's a day in the life of Mary Hill Winery. And I've got the two lovely ladies, Cassie Courtney and Megan Padgett, who are live down in Mary Hill. Um, What's the town again down there, ladies? Goldendale. Goldendale. But there is a town called Mary Hill, right? There is, yeah. <laughs> Why do I get that so confused? Well, we love Mary Hill Winery. It's been in such a great sponsorship and partnership, and uh, it's been so fun to... Uh, to really live the whole life cycle of a uh, vintage, and uh, it's harvest time again. So, what's happening down there? Um, I'm sure you're picking berries and fingers are stained. What's going on? We are. The crush pad has been like packed to the gills for the last three weeks. We've already processed about two hundred and sixty tons. So that's about twenty percent of um, what we'll process for the season. Today, it looks like we have some um, Sangiovese from Tudor Hills Vineyard. Uh, some Gewurztraminer from Celilo and some Cab Franc from Elephant Mountain. 
That's very interesting to think that uh, with this large state, and we're still pretty small in terms of winemaking, I mean, 45,000 acres of vines, but you can actually have three different grapes, all very unique, Verstraminer, Sangiovese, and Cabernet Franc, be ripe at the same time because we have so many different microclimates here. Yeah, it's really been amazing to um, just how early the growing season, um, how early everything ripened, and uh, we've already, I mean, we've already processed so so much fruit in three weeks' time. It's just amazing. And that's only 20% of the projected 80,000 cases of wine you'll produce this year? Right. Last year we did about uh, 1,230 tons. And so, you know, we, we're we not positive what, what the outcome will be this year, but that's, that's about 20% of what we did last year. So 1,230-some tons, that's like a gigaton, isn't it? Uh, you'd have to ask Richard about that. <laughs> well, I'm using all of my uh, computer language in here. Um, well, so you're, you're harvesting different what you're harvesting different grapes, of course, white and red at the same time. That must be a, a huge sort of a logistical um, correlation. And well, what is it? How do you do that? Do you actually have a plan that says, okay, this is going to be here? What if the truck's late? How do you how do you handle all that? Well, it's quite an undertaking. We process over 30 different varietals, and we have over 60 SKUs of wine. So we have um, we have quite the, the diversity, and I think it really takes our winemaker, Richard, and, and our crew to really hold all of that together and to be able to showcase each of the wines at their best. And you've done so well, and it has to be the case. I mean, Richard Batcher must be phenomenal logistically and actually getting his team motivated. And when it comes down to it, many hands make light work. But how many people are working down there right now? So right now we have a we have um, five international interns, and we actually had a sixth. And then we'll have one more intern uh, from Seattle coming down in a week or two. And then we have a crew, and you know. I'd have to verify, but I think we have about, um, oh, maybe eight to ten staff. And then we bring in seasonal staff as well to help out with processing. Sure. Well, um, that's that's like a big party, and I know that Vicky loves to feed them, and I think that's so cool to make that familial experience. Obviously, drinking wine and eating is, uh, is, is a big part of uh, harvest. And speaking of harvest, do you have a couple harvest events coming up? Let's talk about those. We do. Um, so Mary Hill, every year during um, harvest, we have a celebration, and we do two fun-filled weekends, um, including wine tasting. We have case specials where you can receive up to 50% off. We also, of course, have our live music that um, continues all summer long, and um, we will have a we'll have live performances both Saturday and Sunday for both of those weekends, going on from one to five. Our tasting rooms open from ten to six, so you guys are welcome to come out anytime and uh, have a look at what's going on through production. Um, hang out around the crush pad and see all of the action. We're also doing grape stomping, where you can uh, you can get into the winemaking process yourself, and uh, we we do some commemorative T-shirts which are kind of fun, and you can tie-dye them with uh, with the grapes that you've stomped. So um, so we have all of that going on. Um, those dates are October 3rd through the 4th, and then we're doing it again on October 10th through the 11th. Love it. And, uh, well, this is truly an opportunity to dip your toe in the winemaking process, right? You get to stomp on some grapes. Absolutely. And it's really it's a really neat treat to be able to kind of stand on the sidelines of our um, of our crush pad and really watch all of the action as the grapes come in and then are sorted and processed. Um, so it, it's it's a pretty neat experience to see it live. So Awesome. Well, congratulations and happy harvest. I uh, appreciate Cassie Courtney and Megan Paget joining me for a day in the life of Mary Hill Winery.
Thank hey, you. Hey, Thanks we'll so chat much. with Vicki or Richard and Craig next week. Thanks so much, ladies. Uh, and that concludes our show for the day. What a what a wonderful time. Hope you enjoy. If you ever miss a show, check out happyhourradio.net. And uh, do some tweeting. You can tweet at Mary Hill Winery or at Mary Hill Wine. And then uh, at Happy Hour happy hr radio and of course our friends today was happy <laughs> at seattle distills remember folks life's always better with a designated driver and i'll see you next week so cheers <laughs>